0: Hello everyone, welcome to the latest edition of the Talking Pharmacy podcast. My name is Richard Thomas, I'm the editor of Pharmacy Magazine. Joining me on the pod this week, Rob Daracott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Arthur Walsh, editor of Pharmacy Network News, and Neil Tranis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist. No pod last week because we ran a live webcast on the right review, more on that later, so we've got lots to catch up on. So let's start straight away with good week, bad week. Rob, who's had a good week or two weeks for you?
1: Well, hot off the press, Richard. Uh, I think it's going to be a good, well, not so much a good week, but a good next few months for Steve Howard, who today has been announced that Steve is going to retire uh, as Lloyd's Pharmacy Superintendent and Clinical Standards Director for McKesson after being with the company for almost... 35 years i mean that's that's one hell of a stint and i know from experience of knowing some other superintendents that it's a it's not a job that they uh they take very lightly at all and i don't not quite sure how long steve's been doing the job but it's probably seven or eight years that part of it but i think you know very well known in in um, pharmacy I started as a hospital pharmacist then joined lloyds as a pharmacy manager and has been in a whole variety of roles including internal comms and training and development director so uh, i think that's quite a nice uh story and a nice uplifting bit of news to uh to see today
0: yeah the one of the good guys isn't he steve howard uh we might i might come back to him in, in any other business actually but yes announce his retirement today good choice rob
2: uh, Neil, who's had a a good week for you? Well, mine's a a, a bit more uh, serious, I suppose, if you want of a better word, and it's a return to the right review for me. And uh, and my good week goes to the the NPA, uh, and well done to them because they, you know they they, they responded um, with some points as to how they feel, you know, things should be going. And on, on behalf of independence, uh, there's obviously a lot of concern around um, independence and the voice of independence being lost somewhere. Uh, in this in uh, i this these raft of uh, quite very serious reforms um and the npa um did say that you know any, anything that's a agri- should be should be agreed by a majority of independents a majority of, in, of multiples and a majority of all contractors uh, to ensure that the the sector that nobody within the sector no one um um part of that sector benefits or has more influence than, than anybody else so that's spot on to the, to the npa absolutely we probably all agree with that um As we all know, uh, from an independence point of view, there are concerns that the distinctive voice of independence could be lost. Um, We've obviously heard recently that uh, uh, CCA contacted uh, its um, representatives on LPCs to say, you know, can you, um, you should be doing this. Actually, you know, being a bit neutral, but actually, can you, can you uh, uh, promote the interests of CCA member companies above all other contractors? Um, And that's ringing alarm bells straight away. That's for, uh, for me, that's a, a, a very early kind of drawing of the battle line straight away for, for the multiple. So, um, well done to the NPA, you know. Um, they also mentioned something that was quite interesting that caught my eye, and that was, uh, they were kind of, they mentioned the creation of a shadow governance board, uh, which is independent and external to the existing structures um, to take this forward. And that was, that was quite an interesting concept. They didn't go into too much detail as to you know, yes, it's independent and, and external. Who would sit on this board? Who would actually oversee this? It didn't go into too much detail. That's quite important to, to 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 know. An interesting idea. Be interesting to hear some more about that. Um, but very timely, as I say, a very timely response from the NPA to what we obviously broke, the story we broke uh, with the CCA, sort of uh, making their early move, I suppose.
0: Yeah, and we we, we covered uh, quite a bit of that on, on the webcast as well, Neil. Yeah, and and this this is the triple lock, isn't it, from, yes. from the NPA? Because yeah. the, uh, the last time we heard Triple Lock mentioned was Gavin Williamson, wasn't it? Yeah, don't get me started. So, uh,
2: <laughs> I think Arthur's going to have a go on that one. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but hopefully the MPA's
0: Triple Lock will be more successful than uh, Gavin Williamson's. Uh, yeah, okay, good week for the MPA. Um, Arthur, who's had a good week for you?
3: Uh, presumably, it's Presumably it's been a good week for Amazon and Jeff Bezos, who has managed to crack the Indian online pharmacy market. With uh, Amazon Pharmacy, they set up in Bangalore, one of the country's big tech hubs, and presumably they'll be rolling it to other cities and states over the coming months. Uh, eager readers will be aware that um, Amazon is seeking to trademark the name Amazon Pharmacy in the UK, Canada, and Australia, and so we'll be looking at India as a testing ground for, you know, whether it does come to dominate over the existing online pharmacies. And um, the uh, actually Amazon Pharmacy, the trademark. Has been challenged in the UK. It's been opposed by a company called Info Health. Um, I've tried to speak to them a little bit this week to, to learn a little bit about you know what grounds they're opposing the trademark on. Haven't been able to so far, but um, interesting to see where that goes also.
0: Yes, I mean I'm I don't know much about the Indian pharmacy market, but one would imagine it's it, it's huge. And if, if if Amazon makes inroads there, then that's going to have very interesting implications. Yeah, it?
3: alarm bells possibly.
0: Yeah. Possibly alarm bells. Um, Yeah, thanks, Arthur. Uh, So, for me, uh, it's been a a good week for proponents of virtual healthcare. The biggest cheerleader, of course, being Matt Hancock himself, who basically said that all health consultations should be by default virtual, unless they're compelling reasons otherwise. So, this week, today, actually, on Thursday, uh, I saw new research from Accenture that seems to, uh, to suggest that patients in the UK are embracing virtual healthcare as a result of covid 87% of people reporting that the quality of care was as good or better than before and an over half said that based on their experience during the pandemic they want to use technology more for communicating with their their healthcare providers and again just under half but still a considerable proportion of british patients said they thought they received better more personalized responses so this is something that i think going to move very quickly now um, and in pharmacy things are, are beginning to move Scotland has its very successful NHS near me uh, pharmacy video consultation service it was actually set up by a former colleague of mine uh, Claire Morrison and the Welsh government has said that it supports increased use of, of remote pharmacy consultations to uh, in community pharmacy I think the Scotland scheme is is mainly outpatient appointments I think Richard yeah.
1: Uh, any sign of a virtual health secretary? <laughs> you know you know what one that we imagine what a good health secretary would be like, and then they can create it in a computer and we get that one instead.
0: No I think we are just stuck with the real health secretary for the moment, Rob. Oh shame.
3: Are you think it like a hologram or something,
0: is not it? There's probably an algorithm in there somewhere, Rob, i I give them a, give them a few minutes. So there you go, yeah, that's my good um, virtual health good. GPs have have undergone the biggest conversion on this since John Taylor for Wales against Scotland in 1971. So this is something that that pharmacists are gonna grapple with soon, I think. Um, It's been a good week then for virtual healthcare. So, earlier this week, we ran a a live webcast on The Right Review, What Next for LPCs, and it was a a really good discussion with our panellists and audience of LPC representatives, and it's available to view on demand on the Pharmacy Magazine and P3 websites. We wanted to reflect on the main findings of The Right Review, highlight some of the key themes of the debate so far look at what lessons can be learned from other sectors and explore next steps, particularly for local representation and support. And our expert panellists included James Wood, who's the Chief Executive Community Pharmacy Surrey in Sussex, Lubjit Kandula, Director of Pharmacy Transformation at Greater Manchester LPC, and Shilpa Shah, Chief Executive Officer at Kent LPC. And we're going to play a short extract from our discussions now. And I started off by asking James to give his initial impressions of Professor Wright's findings and where he thought we should go from here. And also, what had his contractors been telling him on the ground?
4: Good evening, uh, Richard, and to all the viewers at home um, listening. Great to be road testing uh, your new uh, platform. So um, some perspectives from here in in Surrey and Sussex. Well, I think very much like your poor results from um, that we just seen there, in terms of my committee's views, that uh, most welcomed uh, the review for the first time it had been done, uh, recognised that it needed to be done for all the things that have been said already, um, and that people could identify with most of the issues. So that was almost the easy bit. Um, but I guess the, the more tricky bit was um, uh, around the recommendations, and we've seen that there in the in, in the poll. So very much. Uh, from from my LPC members as well. That same kind of thing coming through. So it actually could get behind quite a few of them, but some of the trickies in there are perhaps because need more discussion, debate, more information, more more chance to think about how it will be operationalized and those kind of things. So um, I, I guess using what David described earlier as tensions, tensions there around some of those recommend recommendations. So those are some, some of the committee committee's views, I guess from in terms of contractors, um, quickly, very um, mixed from clearly we've heard from uh, uh, CCA on behalf of uh, their uh, member contractors uh, with, with some strong views in the last week or so. Um, but then, you know, we're, we're hearing lots of other things locally from more medium and smaller uh, size owners. So from some people who are saying, well, it's a bit like Brexit, we've already given our views um, to, to to uh, Professor Wright, just get on and do it, uh, and then from some who were clearly concerned about what it might, would it, is it going to cost any more when the overall intention not? And what actually, you know, what could we lose locally if things start to go kind of national? So those are some of the things I think coming through from contractors. Um, and I think generally just difficulties in terms of engaging. They're all so busy um, at this time.
0: Yes, uh, I mean contractors are incredibly busy. I mean we're still recovering from, from Covid, aren't we? So yeah, good points there James. Um Lovejit, what about the the situation up in Greater Manchester? Well, how are you finding uh, the reaction up there? Uh
5: thanks Richard. Um the LPC broadly speaking agreed with the broader <coughs> principles of the review, but we did have a number of concerns and additional questions. Um, and we need to seek clarity on those to really inform our decision-making process. So the kind of concerns that we had from our contractors um, and LPC is what are the next steps? How will this agreement take place? And particularly around ensuring equitable representation across the sector to ensure that everybody has a voice and that one voice doesn't um, you know, overtake and overpower the others. What's going to happen next? What are the timelines? How is this going to be agreed? There's particularly very serious concerns in our LPC about the interdependencies and the impact of different decisions on wider representation and governance, and particularly around finance. So, sorry, a bit of a um, The role of employees and the office structure doesn't seem to have been considered in the recommendations either. We feel that you should be the employees and the office structure to help deliver that locally can't be underestimated and should be considered further and there was a really big debate about representation versus support and there's an you know there's a view that you know maybe we need to be representation only not support but what do contractors value the contractors views are that we value the support that LTC does in terms of tangible outcomes um overall i think contractors in that area they recognise there's a need for change they're very concerned about financial viability in the future negotiations um, but they have said that they don't understand the complexity of national negotiations and the structures. So they're asking us, how, how do we engage with this? How do we make sure that we get our views across in a way that's going to actually help and sustain our future? Um, and I think the engagement of independent contractors is particularly challenging as well. And the last thing I want to say is that the, the right review doesn't seem to have acknowledged the NHS long-term plan and how we align to that. Strategy. Effectively, we are commissioned by the NHS, so it's extremely vital that whatever we decide is in line with what the NHS has to do, and so that we can influence that and build that collaboration. For the future. OK,
0: yeah, yes, thanks Levjid. I mean, the, the, the division, if you like, between representation and support, that's very much a live issue, and we've been receiving a lot of comments on the magazines about that. That's, that is a very live debate, obviously right concentrating mainly, it seems, on on the representation side of things, perhaps less on the support. It's interesting you say that your contractors really value the support that the LPCs give there. Um, But Shilpa, um, what about you in Kent? What were your initial impressions and, and, and those of your contractors?
6: Um, so I think, um, thank you, Richard. I think I was quite lucky to be on the steering committee that um, worked with David Wright, um, Professor David Wright and his team. And I think it was great for me to see the amount of research that went into his recommendation. So making sure that he had spoken to everybody all the different sectors, tried to get as much information from um, independent contractors as well as um, the multiples um, and putting it all together. It was great to be part of that journey. I think that also then helped with the conversations I was then having with the committee, my LPC committee. Um, And I think we, again, it goes back to, we can't underestimate how important the LPC is, because it 's the committee that work with the contractors to you know give them this information that 's come out from this review, get their feedback um, and feed it back to us so that we can all work together to answer some of the questions that have been coming through in various surveys, etc. I think um, what has been difficult is probably a bit around the timing that we started this in December and then we went into um, quite a big p q s with with sort of not much notice. So I think contractors were a bit preoccupied with that, and then we went straight into COVID, um, which has been really difficult. But I think what I'm seeing coming through from people is that, yes, some of the recommendations absolutely um, are brilliant and should be put in place ASAP. Others, as James and, and Lovely have both alluded to, just need a bit more work, a bit more um, a bit more of um, a kind of a structure to how they're going to be put in place and a bit of a timeline. I guess there's also the concern that if we don't do something quite soon then is this review still fit for purpose if we're looking at it this time next year or do we almost need another a little mini review just to bring us up to speed because pharmacy changes so rapidly now um but i think from from mainly from contractors i think they're happy they see that this was needed but they also don't want to lose their lpcs and i think covid was a really big example of how locally the contractors needed support um, and all the extra services that we commissioned over COVID were done locally with the LPCs.
0: Yes, thanks, Shilpa. In fact, we, we're getting loads of questions coming in and certainly um, we come back to these actually. Uh, one, one person saying is two years too long for all this to happen and as you say that the timetable, the contractual timetable is moving very quickly now, um, but I, I want to put this to you panel. Um, we have a an increasingly localised NHS, don't we? And and primary care is undergoing real transformative change at the moment and and decisions, as you will know, are being made locally very quickly. And we saw that during COVID. Um, What kind of things can LPCs do that would be very difficult, in your view, to run from the the top down? Um, James, I'm sorry, I'll start with you again on this, but what, what do you think about that?
4: Thanks, Richard. Um, well, I guess Shalp has already picked upon one there, and, and that was COVID. And I think that's shown as lots of things that are actually implemented locally, driven locally, decided locally, that may have an impact on um, contractors more widely. That are decided at a very local level, and I think that's that would be quite difficult to to be coordinated um, or, or managed from from the centre. There could l- clearly be some coordination of it, but actually a lot of it comes down to relationships. Um, that, that may have been built up for many years, but I think there's other things as well. And sometimes, um, I guess it comes into perhaps that discussion and and broader um, uh, broader debate about the difference between representation or support or where the similarities and actually, are we all talking about the same thing um, when we talk about support uh, and so on? But one one thing that I, I um, having spent a lot of time. Um, involved in in the local NHS over the years is about some of the national service developments of which we're going to see a lot over the next couple of years as the, as the five year contractual framework develops. But actually, some of those, whilst they're national services, the NHS implements almost everything at a local or regional level. And whilst um, they might be nationally negotiated, there's still a lot. From, from a local perspective, LPCs working with local NHS, local stakeholders to make those kind of things happen and we may be even that some some further developments in future what they might be nationally negotiated at a a kind of locally switched on or determined uh, GPCPCS, for example, is I think a really good example of that. So I think it would be naive to think that actually it's a national service. We can just do it all from the centre. I I really don't think we we can or best contractors uh, just all from the centre.
0: So Rob, it was a a really wide-ranging quality debate, I thought, touching on on lots of issues such as what kind of things LPCs do that are difficult to run from the top down, what role should LPCs play collectively in coming up with a way forward, and the balance between representation and support, and lots of other questions came in from from our audience on the night as well. Uh, What did you take from the discussions?
1: Well, first of all, Richard, I agree with you. It was a great discussion and I I think we could have gone on for a lot longer. Uh, Three takeaways for me, really, I think. One was um, a point made quite early in the discussion, I think, by uh, Lubjit about the context in which the right review has to be seen. Uh, And she mentioned a couple of times the NHS long-term plan and very much was talking along the lines of it's all very well improving the offer, so pharmacy saying what it can do, and clearly the Right Review talks about a a shared vision. Um, But it's important not to ignore what the buyer wants to buy. And uh, I think we forget that a bit too often, that uh, the NHS in England in particular seems to have moved on in some some areas, and pulling back from that is a little bit difficult. Uh, The other thing that struck me about the whole conversation was about the implementation of whatever the outcome is decided to be, has to deal with a number of different balances within the system. So uh, we started the whole webinar with a couple of external contributions, one from David Taylor uh, from UCL and the other from which Richard Whittington, Chief Executive of the Local Optical Committee Support Unit, and they both mentioned really balance, uh, and in particular Richard talked about um, living in a mixed economy, uh, in dealing with the NHS, both nationally and locally, and that you have to strike a balance between top-down strategic direction and local management responsive to local needs. And somebody also made the point that, of course, most national services start with some kind of small development and often a locally-led development, which then turns up in the national contract. So um, a thing that I think we're all been particularly bothered about is, you know, what happens with LPCs in all of this. And Neil's raised uh, quite rightly, you know, the CCA contribution now, the NPA contribution to the discussion. Um, But, you know, you, you kind of miss the local point at your peril, I think. And the last thing I would say, and something that I hadn't really thought about in the context of right, was the role of local representative committees in promoting community pharmacy to the rest of the NHS Uh, and I think that that it's all very easy to say we just have a great communications plan but I think contractors know that promoting what pharmacy does is not so much a communications exercise as a relationships exercise and if you develop the right relationships then that leads to trust and confidence And trust and confidence ultimately leads to people doing business together. And you won't do business simply by sending people nice PR messages or putting up a poster. Uh, And I think that's something that that the right review doesn't particularly address, I don't think, the role of um, individual contractors in being the promoters of community pharmacy within the NHS at a local level. And of course, that's something that independents um, are quite good at, because they tend to stick around and, ind- and multiples find a little bit trickier. So those are my key sort of takeaways from the whole thing.
0: Yeah, very good point, Rob. And of course, the, the new PCN leads are a very important stepping stone, aren't they, for, for contractors who are to dip their toes in the water, if you like, of this, this kind of enhanced representative role. So, yeah. Uh, I agree with all of that. Uh, And the next stage in uh, the right review, of course, we have um, Simon Dukes, four questions that he's asked contractors uh, for for their responses to, and uh, they're due in by the end of this month. So we'll keep an eye on what contractors say. So now let's go on to bad week and I'll kick off here. Well, um, it's been uh, a bad week for All those non-pharmacist branch managers at Well. Uh, The company is going to axe around 350 of them and replace them with pharmacist managers where possible. Another example here of of a pharmacy multiple making some very tough decisions due to the current financial climate. Obviously, this is devastating news for those affected. But it, it was interesting to note that Well says its proposed new management structure will improve performance as branches with a pharmacist manager Uh, quote, do materially better, unquote. And I think that's right. I've never been a fan of non-pharmacist branch or area managers, to be honest, who I think, and I admit this is a broad generalisation here, they often don't get pharmacy and don't understand instinctively the particular demands faced by pharmacists operating as healthcare professionals uh, chasing MUR numbers in the past was an especially egregious example of some area managers at some multiples putting their pharmacists under unacceptable pressure. So personally, for the people uh, involved, obviously, it's it's very bad news, but I think uh, it's an interesting development. It could be better for well. We shall see, um, but we'll keep tabs on it. It'll be interesting to see how this new management structure uh, well works out, but you know, if, if it's a bad week if you're a non-pharmacist branch manager there, I'm afraid. So, Arthur, who's had a bad week for you?
3: Uh, it's definitely been a week for Gavin Williamson, Gavin Williamson, the Education Secretary, who's uh, handling up this year's A-level results, has managed to cheese off just about everyone, put thousands of students through an emotional rollercoaster over the past week, and a lot of them are still uncertain as to what their future is going to be. Um he of course relied on this algorithm that's become notorious, Ofquals uh algorithm, which to, to, to determine what grades students might have got if they had sat their exams, which is about as foolproof as it sounds. Um <laughs> uh, and, and um and yeah, I think the most galling thing about it is that it the pupils from more deprived areas where schools have traditionally had lower attainment who came out worst, and you know your eatings and your hours are laughing all the way to Oxbridge, so definitely a bad week for Gavin Williamson. I think it's too soon to to say how exactly this year's intake of M farm students is is affected. Um, I did speak a little bit to Duncan Craig from the Farm Schools Council, who said they're sort of run off their feet and trying to you know do do the best by all prospective M farm students.
0: Yeah, we we we'll need to keep a a close <coughs> eye on that very. Uncertain time, and yeah, I'm amazed. Gamma Williamson is still in post, but but there we are. Neil, I think another government bad <laughs> week for you. I sense uh,
2: absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's been a it's been a bad week for uh, Public Health England and the government. Um, Duncan Selby and Professor John Newton et al at Public Health England bad for them, obviously, because as we know, uh, PHE is to be scrapped and replaced by. We're told a, a body that will specialise in pandemics, uh, the National Institute for Health Protection. Um, and we'll have to see how that one pans out, but it's been, a, it's been actually an awful an awful uh, week for the government, yet again, another awful week, uh, because it's shown them, particularly one particular individual at the Department of Health, whose name, I think we know fairly well by now, Mr. Hancock, uh, to be pretty gutless and spineless. Um, and disbanding public health England, uh, quite frankly, is just their way of passing the blame for the disastrous handling of this pandemic onto some, somebody else. Uh, for all the mistakes they've made during COVID-19, um, it's DH passing the buck to, to Public Health England. So the, the timing of this also is is, is extremely interesting. Um, I mean, why didn't the government uh, wait until there was a public inquiry before uh, doing away with Public Health England? Um, you know, why now? It, it, just, it just smells of a, a very quick... Um, way of just quickly shoving the blame on somebody else before even holding an inquiry. There should be an inquiry, but let's do the inquiry first. Let's see, what, let's see what lessons we can learn from the inquiry. Then you sort of look at other things. So they've just rushed ahead with this um, to try and brush it under the carpet. I hope nobody notices. Of course, we've all noticed. We're not stupid, um, although the government seems to think we are. Um, and uh, they, they, they should have left public health England alone, learned the lessons from other countries in their handling of the pandemic, uh, and then launched the public inquiry. Um, the other thing that's that's really disturbing about this is also that Public Health England are a, are a, a, a very important you know in what they do you know their public health I mean that's a hugely important area of course it is but they've actually in in, in disbanding the organisation they've severely weakened our ability in this country to deal with public health issues I mean you you're talking about a raft of top people at Public Health England you know amazingly amazing uh, guys men and women there who are uh, immensely um, up on all, the, all these issues. Smoking, alcohol, obesity, lifestyle choices. You know, okay, the greater strides could have been made by now. Uh, that's down to other extenuating circumstances like funding being cut and other, other reasons. But you're going to see a situation now when Public Health England merges or, or is dissolved into this new body that a lot of these people are going to be lost. A lot of these people are going to walk away from the organisation, and, and who knows where, where they'll turn up next. Isn't um
3: a lot of those functions are going to be returned to the NHS? Or it's, it's still uncertain, well, isn't it? it, but it,
2: but, uh, it possibly. Maybe that's, we, we're not even sure about that. But what we do know is that Public Health England you know, have a lot of top people working there. You know, we're talking about people who are at the top of their game in these particular aspects of, of healthcare, overseeing these particular aspects. These people are going to walk away. And now we're, now we're told that this new body will be headed up by Diado Harding, who has no background in healthcare. She's the ex-chief uh, executive of TalkTalk. Talk. Um, oh, great. <laughs> that sounds great, doesn't it? Um, I mean, um, uh, public, good to see public health is in, is in good hands. So you, you, you're basically um, dismantling our expertise in this country to, to uh, really push ahead with public health issues. And there's been a lack of investment in public health, as we know, for years anyway. Um, and there's just no logic. There's no justification. There's the, it will have damaging consequences. And at the heart of it is our friend, Matt Hancock, mm-hmm. who... I have to say, he is the worst health secretary we've ever had. A uh, public health England haven't been on top of their game, though. Really, it's, isn't isn't that part of the problem? Well, they, they've suffered from a lack of uh, funding cut. They've suffered from budget budget cuts over it, the it, years. There's no getting away from that. But this, yeah, uh, as, as in social care, public health has been yeah. uh, has not had the, the funding behind it. If uh, you dismantle the one organisation that we have that actually focuses on this, then you're going backwards in a, in a major way. And I think this is going to have disastrous consequences.
0: Uh, yeah, I say we don't know dismantle, but we don't know, you know, how the, the kind of transition will will, will go, do we? And, and that's the problem. But you're right, I'm playing devil's advocate, Neil, yeah. because um, it, it, this is all about, you know, decision-making on the hoof, and and the timing is, you know, well, interesting, shall we say. So my, my problem with this is, you know, these decisions that are being taken so quickly, where's the parliamentary scrutiny? You know, announced... Selective briefing to the Telegraph, I think it was. You know, that's that's, yeah. that's no way to do something like this. And, and you're right, you know, I think there are major risks involved in undertaking a huge organisational restructuring in the middle yeah. of a public health crisis. <laughs> and let, let's be honest, the, the, mm. the bodies that the government has created so far, like the NHS Test and Trace, uh, what is it, the Joint Biosecurity Centre, well, they've not exactly been obviously successful either, so... Yeah, I, I I agree with you, Neil. I think the one thing we could do with, and I didn't realise this until I was kind of prepping today, I think we could do with a you know a strategy for dealing with COVID nineteen, a proper government strategy, and we haven't had one. A proper strategy announced mm. since uh, there was an action plan published on about March the third yeah. or fifth. Yeah. Since then, it's been decision making. On the hoof. yeah, absolutely. They totally yeah. react. That's, that's, react that's the whole
2: problem, isn't it? There hasn't been any planning. I mean, you know, they've failed to protect healthcare workers with PPE. We know that they failed to protect care home staff. They've they, they, the tracing app failed, the test and trace scheme is failing. Why hasn't Mr. Hancock, as Mr. Williamson, why hasn't Mr. Hancock resigned? He's, he's absolutely useless, he's failed every test. Every single test.
3: Okay, well, we I get... think they can't afford to give up any scalps, because if you give up one, then they're all as bad as yeah. the
0: other, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> so uh, uh, Williamson's probably favourite to be the first scalp, to be honest, at the moment. But yeah, no, fair enough, Neil. Um, yeah, bad week there for uh, Public Health England and the government. Uh, Rob, I think you're going to continue the theme, are you? Well, who's had a bad week for you?
1: I think politics has had a bad week generally. I mean, you said it, Richard, that you know, doing all this stuff in the, in the summer... Uh, when there's no parliamentary scrutiny partly because i guess the prime minister wasn't having a brilliant time at pmqs was he but to me this is all just this all smacks of jobs for the boys and girls uh you know that must have been some cohort that did PPA at oxford in whenever it was with cameron because they're all brilliant you know if if if, if the rest of us were any we were as poor at our jobs as some of these characters uh you know we'd be we'd be We'd be hoping that Ian Duncan Smith's universal credit system worked better than it does. I tell you. So um, I, you know, I I find it really difficult to look at um, to look at the news, to be honest, because I don't know what's going to happen next. You know, whether it's other mates of I test fan Dominic Cummings and Michael Gove's getting government contracts, or it's the the abolition of agencies that they created seven years ago to you know do what, or then you know Hancock yesterday saying. Everybody should rush back to their offices because there's no evidence of offices being a place where coronavirus is contracted. Well, people haven't been in the offices, mate. It's a bit difficult to contract coronavirus in an empty office. Go, honestly.
3: Arthur what's what's that point you didn't he get contract covid in the
0: office? Yes, he did. Right at the start, didn't
1: he? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's oh, just awful. Awful. I'm with Neil. For what one... For once, I'm I'm on exactly the same side as Neil.
0: The second time in two weeks, <laughs> we can't make a habit of this, though, <laughs> Rob. You're right about PPE, though. I did a I did a kind of uh, a list off the top of my head about the uh, uh, all the people who run the country, who commentate on the country, who did PPE from Oxford. And there's a there's a there's a right bunch there. Um, but yeah, it's 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 very dispiriting the political situation at the moment. There's no doubt about that. So I think that's bad. We from Rob for the government in general. <laughs> so that's too much of the wrong PPE. Stealing Rob's lying there. Um, any other business? Uh, Neil, what have you picked up? Well, i
2: just noticed something quite funny on Twitter. The, the, the Have I Got News For You Twitter feed. And uh, they oh, yeah. had a picture of Boris Johnson with his hair all over the place, looking a bit lost in the middle of nowhere. And, and, and with a caption missing. Have you seen this man? Last seen mumbling to cameras in the Westminster area. Please check sheds, garages and fridge, fridges. <laughs> Which kind of tickled me. I thought it was quite funny. There's been some funny if I got news for you. Yeah, yes. Yeah, Typical yeah. genius,
0: aren't you? Yeah, because if, uh, if Abu were, were around today into this government, they'd be BCCB. Yes. That's probably only worse if you see it written down, actually. Um, Rob, have you got any other business, that you, anything that
1: you've seen? Uh, not today, Richard, no. <laughs> <laughs> That, well,
0: you got the biggest out. laugh for that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for entering into this sphere, Rob. Uh, Arthur's also, yeah. also uh, keeping stumped. I... <laughs> I've only got a very quick idea of the business, and that's that, to echo uh, what Rob said right at the start, uh, Steve Howard's retirement. Uh, yeah, 35 years, I think. Uh, he worked within your organisation. Steve... What a pharmacy's good, guys. Um, we've all known him for a long time. He he was uh, on Pharmacy Magazine, is on Pharmacy Magazine editorial panel and has been since the very start. So um, we wish Steve a very happy retirement, but I know we're going to be seeing a lot of Steve and he's going to be kept pretty busy in his retirement. So, and we'll have a drink, Steve, next time you're in town. And I think that brings us to the end of this week's pod. So uh, my thanks as always to Rob, Neil and Arthur. Uh, The pod is available on the Pharmacy Magazine website and all your usual download sites. Just search for Talking Pharmacy. And don't forget to listen to our webcast on the right review, What Next for LPCs. It's on the PM and P3 websites and it's also with the blurb that you'll see with this podcast. Uh, But for now, thanks very much for listening. We'll be back again next week.
4: Hello?